to Inside the Lens, the in-depth photography podcast where we interview uh, an expert, somebody that's either an expert in a field or uh, they have a particular view on the world uh, of photography that we would like to dig into and uh, dissect and see how everything works. And with me today is Rick Salmon. Uh, Rick and I have become friends over the last few years, uh, partly because you know we, we love to share. And we uh, we have similar attitudes towards photography. And Rick has produced uh, his his uh, his last book is sort of a, a dialogue book, no words written whatsoever, and uh, it's it's uh, charting at the top of the charts, number one in some categories on Amazon. Uh, and I'd like to kind of get inside. Hey, Don, Rick's Don head. I have to stop you. You just said no words whatsoever, and it's all words. Oh, geez. I meant no pictures. No, no I know. See, see, there you go. But no, I, I want to keep that in because this is this is great. It's uh, Rick is is a photographer that I know as the brilliant. I, the first book that I see, uh, saw of yours, Rick, was uh, was butterflies. And I know oh, flying flowers, right? You put so much effort into that book. Uh, I believe it took you years to write it, um, or at least to put everything together. Months, yeah. uh, at least, of, of solid time just focusing on that one specific topic. Um, but now we're kind of doing a retrospective about photography. And there are very few photography books that I have looked at that have been just words. In fact, there was only one other book that I've seen. It was uh, Dialogue with Photography which was a bunch of interviews uh, from famous photographers of yore um, about their life and their history. And, you know, it was really dry. It was, uh, it, I didn't really care about how these people necessarily grew up because that didn't really impact my photography and the way that I look at the world. Uh, but when you put this book together, Rick, uh, it was, to me, something that I think every photographer will be inspired to read. So uh, what is the book and where can people get it? Yeah, it's called Phototherapy, Motivation, and Wisdom, and it's, the subtitle is Discovering the Power of Pictures. So it's only available on Amazon, uh, in paperback and in Kindle. And, uh, you know, it is my favorite book out of my 40 books. And my son asked me when it was published, he saw it, he said, Dad, how long did it take you to write that book? Because it's all words, right? It's not filled with, uh, with pictures. I said, first I said, well, three months. And then I realized it took me 70 years to write. Because you could not have written it quickly. You have to have your entire career behind you to make a book like this. My whole life is is behind this because that's uh, you know we talked about this uh, when I was on on your podcast that you know our photographs are a reflection of our personalities, right? And everything that we've learned and what you're drawn to snowflakes and I'm drawn to wildlife. But you know I figured after 39 books, the world didn't need another Rick Salmon picture book. <laughs> but, well, ser <laughs> but seriously, I, I didn't want people to be distracted with my right. pictures, and well, I wanted the message to come across. And I'm going to sum this up, and this is, uh, this is from the book itself. Uh, summing up this book in a few words, uh, it's a combination of a masterclass, a very long TED Talk, a memoir, and a look at some famous photographers, some thoughts on curing uh, chronic back pain, uh, and, uh, and don't miss that part. <laughs> Uh, and a major photo brain dump. This is a cerebral book. Uh, it's something that makes you think. It doesn't make you look, right? Yes, and that, that's what we have to do. You know, Ansel Adams said that the best accessory, you know, is a 12 inches behind the lens. And this is, you know, I was talking to someone recently, and they changed their photography, and I said, you know what? You're a very thoughtful photographer. And I think this is really important to think about, 
think about the type of pictures that that we want to take. So this is this book is about a lot of different things. One of the things, you know, relating to what we're talking about is I call I talk about emotional intelligence. This is one of my favorite chapters in there. And what emotional intelligence is, it's something that I've seen some photographers don't have. So what emotional intelligence is, you have to understand the subject. You have to be aware of your effect on the on the subject, which also has to do with what's called situational awareness. You know, a fighter, and I, heard, I first heard this term from a fighter pilot, a Hal Schmidt, and he was talking about when he's in the cockpit, he has his hand on the stick, right? Yep. And but he has to be, and he has to be uh, aware of all the buttons on the stick, all the dials that are projected on the on the on the on the on the windshield there on the on the canopy. But he has to be looking around if they're in, like in a dogfight. So we have to have emotional intelligence and situational awareness. And if we have those two things, let's say we're on safari in Africa, if we're if we have that situational awareness of what's going to happen, right? You know, what, you know, if you understand the subject, what's going to happen? What's my effect on the subject? We're going to become better photographers. So what I say is this, Don. I say that a new tripod, a new filter, a new lens, that's going to help you take a better picture. But it may not help you become a better photographer. And there's a big difference. So that's what my goal with this book is. Uh, and, and I've had some people take uh, some of my photography workshops that um, they, they walk in and say, oh, you know, I've had this macro lens for two years. And, and, and then I say, well, when was the last time you used it? Oh, about two years ago. And it's like, okay, well, yes, you have the equipment, but if you don't have the, the, the skills and the awareness of when it's going to be a useful thing for you to use, you know, your photographic skills, no matter what gear you have, um, are, are paramount to your success. Now, I, I want to ask you a question here, Rick. Um, and I've, I've prepared a few of them after I read your book, which is excellent, by the way. Thank you. Um, what are your three P's? Oh, shoot with passion, persistence, and I forget uh, passion, persistence, and I forget the last one. <laughs> You, you must remember what it is. Uh, I, I believe it, it might have been patience or something. Patience, like that. yes. Uh, uh, but passion, I think, is is the main thing, right? You're passionate about your snowflake photography. And if you're passionate about something, you're going to say, you know, I'm going to do anything I possibly can to get this picture. Basically, I think you have to fall in love with the subject. Now, I'm not but, saying, and, and you have to fall in love with it oftentimes because you love it outside of photography, right? Because photography is the vessel of you, for, uh, the, the, the medium for you to create your artwork. Right. Um, but you can't just uh, fall in love with something because of photography. Everybody comes to photography for a different reason. We come from it, uh, come to it from different places. And so uh, where do you come from? Where are your passions? in life, wrap photography around that, right? Oh, yeah. You have to follow your... Well, as my mother said when I was growing up, you have to follow your heart, right? And I think if you love a subject, if you're passionate about it, if you learn about it, like your snowflakes, you're going to get a beautiful picture. Right. And uh, th this book is uh, 21 chapters, uh, 35,000 words. Um, <laughs> and now, uh, it, it's a lot. But in that book, at the end of uh, most chapters, you have a, a mission, sort of like a, a bit of right. homework that right. people will have to do. You don't have to, but I encourage you to. And one of them uh, stood out for me uh, was to ask yourself, what does your photography mean to you? And yes. so, Rick, I'm going to ask you to do this homework. I'm asking you that <laughs> question. People ask me this question uh, all the time. This started out, I was doing a workshop uh, in Montana. This was about 20 years ago. And it was the end of the day, and we we're talking about, you know, the exposure triangle and all that. And I wanted to talk about something different. So I started to, we went around the campfire, 
And I started asking people, what does your photography mean to you? I don't want to know that you're, you like photographing sunsets or, you know, you're into snowflake photography. I want to know what does it mean to you personally? So we went around and I have a whole chapter on this. Actually, this is the first chapter I wrote for the book. And um, some of the comments were, you know, my social life, play and fun. I like it saved my life. And this person, when she was saying this, she was crying. Um, personal evolution, living legacy, saved my life. Uh, there it is again. Making money. Only one person said uh, making money. But I guess I was at a party recently and I asked someone that. And the person said jokingly, I'm going to answer your question, by the way. Uh, uh, said jokingly, I said, what does your photography mean to you? What would you do without your photography? He said, jokingly, I drink more. <laughs> okay. Well, I've read, I read every book by Sigmund Freud and several other psychologists. And one of Freud's books, which I have in my bookcase behind me, is Jokes and the Relationship to the Unconscious. So when he said I drink more, he really was serious that he would drink more. So I think photography has promoted, has uh, provided, you know, uh, a really good outlet for him, right? Right. So, so, and just getting back to Freud's, you know, book jokes in the relationship to the unconscious. You know, if someone says to you, "No, Don, I'm really not trying to make you feel guilty. You know, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings." No one else in the room said that, right? Right. So they, so they really are. So this is a good book, and I talk about some of the psychology. Uh, in this book, but what it means to me is it's really like a, a magic carpet. My photography is a magic carpet. I've been to more than a hundred countries. Uh, been very fortunate to have traveled, explored, photographed, learned so much in a hundred countries. And so for me, it's really, uh, it's, it's, it, it is a magic carpet that has brought me into the lives of, you know, countless strangers who've let, like Buddhist monks who let me into their lives for a few seconds. And they, you know, they don't, they're not thinking about me, but I look at my books that have pictures in them. And sometimes I get emotional looking at these people, realizing how this one picture is so important to me. You know, like Steve McCurry's picture on the cover of National Geographic of the Afghan woman, which is a whole nother story. But, you know, he spent, you know, time with that woman then he met up with her again as i'm sure you know but anyway that's what that's what my photography means to me without it i don't think it's it's given me a license to go to these places on this magic carpet uh that has just been um, just been amazing I, I never thought when i started out when i was your age that i w <laughs> would have been to a hundred countries and met and learned so much about different cultures I, I've been on a number of trips where the um, the purpose for me was photography. I've gone to the Yukon a number of times into the wilderness uh, with a group of hunters. Um, uh, thankfully, my, my uncle is one of them, and he has brought me along uh, for a couple of these three-week uh, expeditions. Wow. If I came back and my memory cards were corrupted or lost or if I didn't have the photos – I would still be a better person for that adventure. I'd be really upset I didn't have the images. Uh, but at the same time, I went there for the photos, but I became a better person for the adventure in taking them, right? Well, that's so true. And I become, I think, hopefully a better person. Like you go to the rainforest. Uh, we were in the Brazilian rainforest when my son was like 10. So this is like 20 years ago, almost. And, you know, I had seen the people, pictures of people in the rainforest with their faces painted, right? And so I asked, why do you paint your face? And it's just not for decoration. It's they paint their faces so when they go into the rainforest that the spirits and the gods in the rainforest recognize them and help them and protect, they help them with their hunt and they protect them. 
You go to, I go to Papua New Guinea and I see uh, the Huli Wigman there, who when they're young, they grow their hair really long. Then, then when they're about 20, they cut it off and they make these wigs and they stick these feathers in there because they feel that these feathers and the wigs attract the spirits of their departed ones. So, And I can hear you say that, Rick. It has not nearly the same impact to me hearing you describe this as for you to actually be there and witness this, right? Well, exactly right. It's hard to describe. And you're in skull caves where the skulls of the departed ones are are, are on display there. Also, if you're done, if you ever go to Papua New Guinea, this is one of the things I learned. You don't wake up someone if they're sleeping. Why is be- that? Because they feel, they believe that, and this is on the Sepik River, that if, uh, which is a different tribe than the Huli Wigmen, which live up in the highlands, they feel that when you're asleep, that your spirit leaves your body and takes revenge on people who have done bad things to your family. <laughs> wow. So, 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 so if you wake them up, your spirit may not, the real spirit may not be there. But this is what photography means to me. It's, it's, it's learning what's important. Because you, you go to these places like Papua New Guinea or, uh, or, uh, or wherever, right? And you learn about all the different tribes and the cultures, or I spent some time with, uh, with some Buddhist monks. I asked the Buddhist monk in Cambodia when my mother was dying, I said, what was the most, what's the most important thing in Buddhism? And he looked at me, and he's looking right in my eyes, because we had just been talking about my mother. He said, being healthy. And I said, what? You know, I said, being healthy? He says, yeah, if you're not healthy, what else, what else can you do? If you don't feel good, can you write a book? Can you take a picture of a snowflake? Can you give a workshop like you do? So this is why my number one goal in life actually now is being healthy. Yeah. You know, I and, exercise and eat. You know, health is, uh, is something that we always take for granted until one day it just disappears and then we're, we're helpless without it. Um, but, you know, it sounds like photography has shaped you in some very powerful and profound ways, uh, you know, both in the experiences that you've, uh, that you've encountered along the way. But let's go back to the um, pre-photography Rick Salmon. I want <laughs> you to tell me about your time um, at uh, Basel and Jacobs and how yeah. that led to you being the Rick Salmon that we all know and love today <laughs> well i don't know about everyone my mother told me that when i was young that everyone's gonna like you uh which is true uh but anyway i know you used to work in the advertising business right that's right well i started in the advertising business a three-piece suit right uh suit and the tie shine I, shoes. I don't think i've ever seen you wearing a three-piece suit it does not suit you <laughs> i'll send you a picture i think i might have one but i started in 1990 and uh shortly I developed crippling back pain because I hated I hated the job, but it paid really well. It paid really well. And how so, long did you stay there then? I was there for ten years. But ten after, years. Wow. I know. After five. Well, I basically left when I was forty. So I've been doing what I want to do since I was forty, because I was able to do that. And this might be some good. Well, I'll give some good advice and some advice maybe they don't. Your listeners don't want to follow. The advice that I think they might want to follow is develop a. If you're in a job that you don't like, develop a plan. Yeah, to I get just, out, uh, and you don't have to find the end game right away. You don't have to, you know, get yourself right to that final okay, I'm leaving moment. But what step can you take? The smallest step towards being happier, right? It might not even be leaving, but what can you do within that environment to make your life happier and keep walking down that path? 
Well, I'll tell you one thing people can do. And people ask me all the time, you know, how do I be a travel photographer? How do I be a writer? Whatever. I say, buy Dr. Wayne Dyer's book, Real Magic. Uh, and in the, the, I read this book. And basically what he says is that if you live the life, if you start living the life you want to live, that becomes your life. So that's the first step. Start living the life that you want to live, and that can become your life. Now, I know this sounds far out, but this is exactly what I did. So the advice I think your listeners may want to follow is make a plan. And I had a five-year plan to get out, and I thought about that, and I talked about it with my wife, uh, Susan, on every weekend. So I, I made the plan. But this is how I got out, and this is the advice <laughs> that uh, your listeners may not want to follow, but it worked, and it could work. So here's the thing. I wanted to get out. So after being there 10 years, Dodd, you know, if I had quit, I wouldn't have been able to get, even though I saved a ton of money. Job paid well. I saved a ton of money. Uh, so another piece of advice is invest as much as you can. Save as much as you can. So when you're my age, you know, you have good investments. But uh, so here's what I did. If I had quit, I wouldn't have gotten uh, unemployment, right? Right. So in the United States, you know, I would not have gotten unemployment. So I said, I have to get fired because if I get fired <laughs> – because I wasn't going to go back to this corporate world. If I said, okay, if I get fired, you know, they'll give me a good, a good package, right? Because and and I'm going to get uh, unemployment for I think it was like, uh, well, I forget what it was, 13 weeks and insurance and all this stuff. If you quit, you don't get that. So I started to take my pictures off the wall, right? Like on weekends, and I left my resume in the copier. Right. So they they thought <laughs> I was looking for they thought I was looking for like another job. They called me in and they uh, they fired me. And I said, well, listen, you know, I got this and that going on, blah, blah, blah. So I got a great deal from Bozell Jacobs, Kenyon, and Eckhart at that time, which became Robinson Lake and Lear and Robinson Lake, Lear and Montgomery. And I got, a, I got a great package and I got the insurance and it gave me a cush, which is getting back to good advice. If you're going to change lanes like I did. Having that cush is really important. I had a cush for three years, and I That's figured, great. you know, you have to have that cush. So this is why it's so important to save money and always live, and I do it today, always live below your means. Well, and, you know, when I was working at an uh, ad agency, I only lasted one year there because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know, I know. Uh, it's it's not exactly enjoyable, but um, I was fresh out of college. My wife was still in university, and, and I had um, uh, about a two-year window where uh, I could kind of, uh, you know, find my legs, right? So the first year was spent at this ad agency, but, uh, but also... I was every spare moment that I could uh, working on photography, so much so that um, I was also working a part-time job at Black's Photography, a photography store that unfortunately is no more here in Canada. Um, but I was working and doing camera lessons and all this, just being as immersive into the photographic space as I could while still working full-time at this advertising agency. And um, uh, yeah, I'd, some of the money that I had because I was still uh, living with my mom at the time, I didn't have the bills to pay. So what am I going to do with that? Well, I, I bought a 24 inch large format printer and, and started learning that craft and spending basically 100 hour weeks uh, learning photography, of course, doing my day job, but being as immersive as I could building and investing back into the world of photography, because at one point I wanted to, uh, to make that my full time job. So after one year, 
uh, the ad agency job was going nowhere I wanted it to go. And uh, so I backed out of that knowing that I still had one year, one year where I could put that 100 hours a week into photography. And if I didn't make any money, it's okay because for this one year, I didn't have bills to pay. Yep. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, my wife graduated, she's a registered nurse now and, uh, and, and she, uh, she's got a great job, but, uh, me as a photographer, I also had to pay the bills. So at the end of that year, I basically looked at the track record and where things were going. And I said, this is viable and just barely was it viable. And, uh, and so, yeah, things got better of course from there, but, uh, and now we're sitting down having this wonderful conversation about it. But if I didn't have that plan, if I didn't have that exit strategy in mind, then, uh, I'd be still creating boring organizational charts for financial, uh, uh, planning companies and just the most awful kind of ad creatives you could imagine, because it's so censored by like three levels of compliance and oh, I don't want to remember that. <laughs> I know, I know. I've been been there, been there, done that. Right. So in your book, uh, chapter 17, I, there's a phrase that I usually speak when I'm doing uh, certain presentations and it is, the harder you work, the luckier you, uh, you say the luckier you become. I say the luckier you are. But there have been some moments in my career where, you know, you're, you're working as hard as you've ever worked, but just something happens that just adds luck to that. And if you weren't working hard, you would have missed it entirely. And uh, if you didn't have what we were talking about, that situational awareness, right, and emotional intelligence, you would have missed it. Exactly. So I, I love this. And, and I know you've got some stories along these lines. I'd love to hear them. Well, I think uh, my favorite one is, you know, before I was in the ad agency, I was, uh, I was the editor of uh, Before You Were Born <clears throat> of Studio Photography Magazine. And uh, I love being the editor of Studio Photography Magazine, uh, but I didn't like being the editor of this other magazine called Photo Processing. So this is back in the late 70s where I'd have to go to a processing lab and see the people take the film out of the envelopes and the, go through the whole process, you know. But, you know, th- that was a big business. Uh, it sounds very boring, though. <laughs> it was beyond boring. So one day I wake up and I go to work and the boss says, you have to go to Dallas, Texas to do a story on this lab there. I said, oh, my gosh, I really don't want to do it because I had back pain and everything. So he says, well, you have to do it. He says, Sam, you have to do it. So I go to Dallas, Texas. I do the story on the lab. I'm trying to condense this story. And the story comes out in the magazine. And the president of the lab calls me up and says, you know, I really like the story you did. It was the best story I ever uh, uh, read on our lab. Thank you so much. I said, well, you're, you're most welcome. He said, by the way. I head up a marine conservation organization, and we need an editor of the newsletter. This is a not-for-profit marine conservation organization. And I said, well, uh, sounds good. What does that entail? He said, well, you have to scuba dive, take underwater pictures, and write up the expeditions. Sounds horrible. (laughs) So I learned. I learned. That sounds like a dream job. This was like in in like – in November, he asked me. So I took a scuba diving lessons here in New York, where you could do a night dive, you know, at 12 o'clock noon, because the water's, you know, so, so it's not dirty, it's just filled with all this uh, phytoplankton and zooplankton. But any, I, I'm sure that you know about that as a person interested in nature. But anyway, uh, I, I learned how to scuba dive, learned how to take underwater pictures. And in April, they sent me to Belize, Central America, to 
document and write up this expedition and to put the newsletter together. So anyway, I come back, he loves it. And the end of the long story is the next year as president of the organization in my spare time working at the advertising agency. And uh, I think uh, I, th I must have dived just about every place on the planet, Galapagos, the Red Sea, Australia, Lake Baikal in Siberia. I've and seen some of your underwater images, Rick, and uh, I mean, it makes me never want to try because I don't <laughs> think that I'd ever get to that level. Well, today, those are all those are all film, all film pictures. You know, digitally today, what you could do with a digital camera, especially bringing back the reds and getting rid of the backscatter. Yep. But that changed my life. That one, that one day in Dallas, Dallas, Texas, changed my life. Where. I went to all these places and eventually I got tired. Of, I didn't need another picture of a clownfish <laughs> or a whale shark. I mean, for 20 years, I did this 20 years, 10 years when I was at the agency and 10 years afterward. And I said, because I'm going to Lombok, Indonesia and all these places and I got involved in the cultures. And for me, that was really fascinating. So as I think, you know, you heard me say, my specialty is not specializing, but when it comes down to it, I love photographing. I love photographing people. So being aware of that that one that one situation, I would not be who I am today if it were not for. And that led to other things, being a member of the Explorers Club, going to uh, Venezuela and uh, documenting Nueva Cadiz, the first underwater settlement in, uh, in South America. It was just, just or Lake Baikal, as I mentioned, diving under three feet of ice with a dry suit. In you know, it's just it's just been um, it's just been amazing. I, I can't believe how lucky I am. But well, but I you're work. you're lucky because you've been working hard because you've been taking opportunities, even if they seem like they're small. You never know uh, what what little you're just always hammering away at stuff, right? And then one time that that strike of the hammer is going to crack something open that you don't expect to find. And, uh, and I, I do this a lot too. And I think every photographer should, um, but you can, you can try to, uh, pursue a hundred different things and be completely skunked on any of those sort of lightning strike opportunities. And then all of a sudden one happens and it makes everything worthwhile. Well, it's like, you know, when you're young, you know, you, you want to find like a girlfriend, right? So you go to all these parties and things like that. Oh, I'd love to have a girlfriend. And then you just might be, you know, at the, at a pizza place and you see someone, right? But you have to be aware. I say, and I know you, you're like this and, my photographer friends are like this. You have to have your radar out. You know, I know you photograph uh, the ants with their antennas that can, you know, uh, I don't know what they can sense, but you do. But we have to be, we have to have that radar out because if we're not aware of possibilities, which is one of the things Wayne Dyer talks about in his book, uh, that they're going to go by. And we always have to be like on our best behavior too. Like if I, if I showed up at the lab, you know, looking like a bum you know, with a t-shirt and blue jeans. And, you know, re I always respect the subject, whether it's a person, uh, the podcasting host, uh, or an animal or the environment. I think respect, and I talk about that in the book, we have to, if we show respect, we're going to get respect. Very, very well said. You know, and, and I, one moment for me uh, on that same line would be uh, a colleague of mine uh, does a lot of aerial photography. And uh, he was hired to, I think, photograph the top of, of one of the, um, uh, the tall buildings in the Toronto area. Uh, I think some construction equipment was left over and they just needed to document it, like a really boring job. Um, but he said, Don, I've, uh, I've got this job in the Toronto harbor front. Uh, there'll be a free seat in the airplane. Do you want to come along? 
and I look at my schedule and I cancel, cancel, cancel. Yeah, I'm perfectly free. You know, there's there's nothing there that would stop me from being here. Um, and uh, so I went. But as soon as I knew where I was going to be, I had the idea of the image that I wanted to create. Uh, at the time, I was shooting with a, a Canon 5D Mark II, and I took the uh, the Canon 15 millimeter fisheye lens, um, which is still a favorite lens of mine, by the way. Um, and uh, I knew that I wanted to create kind of like a tiny planet effect of, uh, of me photographing because th- this helicopter that we were using, uh, I, this one had uh, sliding windows that you could open up so that you could cool. get the, the camera, like uh, the, the no obstructions whatsoever. Uh, and with that kind of a view, I knew that I had to get the, the lens and the camera outside of the body of the aircraft because otherwise you would see it uh, in the frame. And so this is all going through my head and I ended up executing exactly that shot. Uh, that I was after, uh, like even better than what I had imagined in my mind. And the funny thing about this is I've made more money from that photograph than my colleague did (laughs) being hired for the shoot that he invited me along with at the same time. And yeah, he's a little bitter about that, but (laughs) you know, it it worked out in the end uh, because I seized that opportunity and and you, you made something out of it, right? Absolutely. You know, speaking of, of all this stuff, like, you know, living the life you want to live and all that stuff, you know, I have a favorite quote in this book. It's in chapter 15, and the title of the chapter is the quote. So the quote is, it's never too late to be what you might have been. Yes, It's, it's a George that. Eliot quote, and it's true. You know, I'm not going to be a, a brain surgeon, but I could be better at photography. I could be a better person. I could be a better – I could be healthier. So I think if we go through life saying that it's never too late to be what we might have been and think realistically – I think this is this is really cool that you know we have a lot of opportunities. A lot of people think they don't have these opportunities, but the world, I mean, today, uh, you know, there's just so much out there if if we're aware. You create your own reality, right? That's that's words in your book as well. And, and well, we so, do. I mean, uh, and a lot of people don't realize the power that they have over the, the the world that they are in. Yes, we're using photography as art, but also as communication, as a hobby, maybe as a profession. Um, but even if it's not photography, everything that we do in our daily lives becomes us. And so, you know, if you want to become something different, I know this is li- rather like, uh, you know, puffy clouds kind of ethereal speaking. But yeah, but it's it, so it, important. It is so important that, uh, you know, if I wanted to be uh, like when I was in high school, I was invited to uh, to have a uh, a summer job where I had my high school co op uh, maintaining a bunch of training computers at uh, NORCAT, uh, and this is this uh, research and training facility in Sudbury, Ontario. And uh, I didn't end up accepting that. I, I came with my uh, my mom to to where we live now uh, and started looking for uh, colleges. If I had taken that job. I would not be a photographer. I'd be some like IT professional at this point. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I know many IT professionals that are also photographers. Uh, but my life would have made such a significant change. And we all have those moments, right, where you can choose to make a decision uh, one way or the other. But what we don't realize is that that's actually every day. You know, yes. we, we, we can choose to make a decision every day. It's just not one that's given us an A or B choice slapping us in the face. Well, speaking of that, I mentioned before that my number one goal is being healthy. And whenever I want to have like a Kit Kat bar or something like that, <clears throat> uh, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but, you know, a, a cheeseburger versus like a Greek salad. I think about this expression, which is not in the book. I should put it, should put it in there. It's, so the expression goes, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. 
<laughs> it's funny, but it's I good, right? That. I love that. That's right? Great. Nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. So, uh, but we do now. Say you're working in an auto company, right? And they close a factory in in Michigan, right? You're not created, and you're fired, or you let go. That's that's not creating your own reality, but you might have seen it coming, right? Yep. You you might. So this is why we we have we really have to uh, be aware. You know, getting back to the book, it is self published, but. Uh, a guy in Jamaica really put the whole thing together. His name, his name is Chad Robertson, for any of our listeners. And he actually gives a free 15-minute consultation for people who want to have books. Uh, his company is called Writing Nights, like you write at night, like Writing Nights. Yep. And uh, maybe you can have a link in the show notes or whatever. Oh, I'd love to. But, uh, uh, yeah, because people, they don't realize that, yeah, you can write a book too. I mean, don't make it about yourself. Yes. I mean, this book is decidedly not about Rick Salmon. I mean, yes, it's your experiences, but I love the fact that you have all of the other contributors in here as well. Steve not, Brazel. Yeah, it's Steve, mutual friend of ours, uh, amongst many others too. It, the fact that you have all of these different points of view coalesced into one coherent thing put together by by, by Chad and his team um, and uh, – Everybody should be able to do this. Everybody has the ability. So long as you've got something worth saying, uh, yes. you can. Uh, you too can uh, can publish a book. Uh, Rick, you've published forty books now. Are, are there any regrets in any of them as you've gone through that yes. entire process? I'm sure yes. there's got to be something, right? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, <laughs> when HDR was popular, I did a book on HDR. Oh, that has not aged well. No, and I have one. <laughs> I, I'm pretty happy. I'm happy with eighty uh, percent of the book, but there's one chapter in there, and I look at that chapter and I say, "What was I thinking?" And you what, know? What, what? Tell me, what, what well, were I you thinking? The, the HDR shots were nice, but I was into putting frames around the pictures. So I put these ugly, you know, smeared, blotchy, you know, black frames around the pictures. So I really that really, uh, but I can't take it back because no, it's pretty. Uh, Hey, it's it's part of your history now, uh, and yeah, I, I'm sure there's <laughs> actors, right, who aren't 100 percent happy with their performances, right? Well, I'm sure that everybody out there that's published an image somewhere in some way has been unhappy with it. Looking back on that, that that's just normal. So you two are human, Rick. Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so all of this said, uh, again, uh, the title of the book and where people can find it. Yeah, it's on Amazon, exclusively on Amazon. And what's interesting, Don, is that uh, when you self-publish a book uh, on Amazon, you could check every second <laughs> as to the sales for that day. So in the beginning, I was checking like every five minutes or whatever. It's like an addiction. <laughs> it is. So I, I, but the thing is, you you write, you publish a book with a with a publisher. You have to wait six months to get the statement, and this tells me where they're sold. Uh, I see the percentage on the. For your listeners who are interested, on the paperback book, it's a uh, it's a sixty percent, and on the Kindle version, it's seventy percent, as opposed to like five percent when you go to like another book publisher. Oh, this and is so much more for you, right? And what's interesting, what's really interesting, is that the paper it's sixty forty. Sixty percent of the people are buying the uh, Kindle book, and forty percent of the people are buying the paperback. I'm really surprised at how many people are buying the uh, the paperback. Well, and I, I guess just having something tangible. Uh, it, I I can read and I read on screens all the time, but if I am going to read something with purpose, uh, I'd rather have a physical copy of it. Yeah. Uh, and I can see the same thing uh, of, of the book that I currently have, uh, you know, crowdfunded on Kickstarter, and uh, I'll be doing a physical production of that. But um, 
the the ebooks made about 30 maybe 35 percent i don't have the numbers in front of me right now of the total sales the rest were hardcover some of them even much more expensive limited edition leather bound editions which i kind of made just because i wanted one but uh you'd be surprised how many people out there are actually interested in this kind of content but um it it, it, it is a new world for photographers. It's a new world for publishing. Yes. Uh, and I mean, uh, everything from ebooks to apps and so many other ways to get that sort of content out. Um, so next then, I have to ask, Rick, what are you doing next? I mean, you've, you've got this wonderful book out that everybody should check out, but you do not rest on your laurels, sir. No, no. Well, if I could just say one more thing about this book, I have a sure. quote on the back cover, and the quote is this, and it's by Bruce Barton, and the quote is, when you're through changing, you're through. So my advice to your listeners would be to keep growing, keep keep evolving. And this book is filled with quotes. And my next book is called uh, Photo Quest, and it's really uh, it's really about finding the uh, your photographic voice and finding you know your artistic voice. And you contributed to that. Thank you so much. And I'm going to talk to you about uh, some other contributions that I think you could make. But one of the things I talk about in this book, because I've really been into this lately, is superpowers. Like, you're a great, uh, you're probably the best snowflake photographer in the world, but that's not your superpower. Your superpower is something else. It's something else that drives you to get those great pictures. So I have about 15 people so far who have, uh, and I'm not giving it away, uh, who have uh, sent me their inner superpowers. And it's fascinating that what, you know, once you think about that, that's what I would like our, our listener, your listeners to uh, think about what is their inner superpower. And this is the purpose of my books to get people to think. So if someone's like a great, you know, a presenter, right? You know, give a TED talk. Oh, or a great photographer. You might say, oh, they're a great photographer, great presenter. They're a great architect, whatever. There's an inner superpower that's making them good at that and probably a lot of other things in life. And this actually started out, I was talking to my son who's getting his PhD in finance. Uh, uh, I say, you know, people who are good at one thing are probably good at a lot of other things, right? I'm sure you find this. Oh, yeah. You're good at snowflake photography. You're a good podcast. You're a good photographer. You're a good workshop instructor. You're good at a lot of things. The opposite of that is true. People who are good at one thing probably are good at a lot of things, but it's that superpower it's the superpower that makes you good at all those things. So, so right now, as I'm writing this book, it's called uh, Photo Quest because it's about a journey on how to find your photographic voice and artistic voice. Uh, again, no pictures. Just uh, I'm going. I'm going for fifty thousand words this time. <laughs> oh, gonna, you're ratcheting that up. Uh, well, the thing is, I, I want to deliver. And uh, getting back to respecting the audience. If someone's going to spend money on a book, I want to give them as much as uh, I can. So anyway, uh, that's the next book. It's going to be out uh, a, probably the second quarter next year. I'm looking forward to that. And thank you for asking me to contribute to that as well. Um, you know, it, it's fun when you have the ability to, to help, right? Uh, and, and as the, the contributors to your existing book right now, um, Phototherapy, you see the responses and people are very genuine with them. And I love the, the, the genuine attitude that in today's era of photography, people are not afraid to share. And you shouldn't be. I remember in the mm -hmm. past, people that were doing like 1950s um, portraiture with really uh, high contrast lighting and what have you. 
they they would lie about their lighting setups. Oh, they yeah. would purposefully sure. draw them wrong so that if anybody yeah. tried to recreate it, they would get different results. And we do not hide behind anything now in, in the modern era of photography. And I love it. I revel in it. And I'm so yeah. glad that you do too as well. I do. All right. Well, Rick, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Uh, again, we can find uh, everything about Rick at uh, ricksalmon.com, I believe, right? Yes, that's it. And uh, you did a great job. Keep up the uh, great work. And uh, it's really fun having you collaborate. Uh, actually, on the next book, on the current book, on the title, it says, uh, Rick, you know, the, the author, it says, you know, Rick Salmon. On the new book, and I just put this under there, it says Rick Salmon and the Photo All-Stars. <laughs> so it's like, it's like Ringo in the All Stars, right? Where he has like he has uh, uh, Greg Raleigh from Santana playing with him. I saw, him. but this book I'm actually going to have more contributors. Uh, Scott Kelby contributed already. You contributed. Uh, Aaron Bobnick uh, contributed. So it's uh, it's people want to contribute, and it's really it's really uh, it's me and the All Stars, and these people like yourself are really today's All Stars. And I've, I've read your book, Phototherapy. Uh, it's excellent. And I, I do recommend it. And I don't recommend many books, but uh, because a lot of books are a lot of fluff. This does not have fluff. This is, to the point, very meaningful. And, uh, and I think that any photographer listening to this podcast should go out and get a copy. Again, Rick, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's always a joy just talking to you. I have so much fun. Yes, it's a ton of fun. Thank you so much, my young and talented friend. All right, take care. 